It's a, a lovely uh, picture, isn't it, in the second verse. Earth and heaven worship you. Uh, we're worshipping God here on earth. Countless people are doing that around the world as well today. And uh, then there's the worship of heaven, that resounding worship of, of angels and archangels and all the redeemed people of God who are now there. And, and the centre of that worship is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's great, isn't it, to be able to join our voices uh, with theirs. Well, we come again to the Beatitudes this evening. And uh, we come to verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. And Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Or one more modern translation says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. We've been seeing the Beatitudes describing what Christians are like. It's not a passage of command. You're to do this. You're to be poor in spirit. You're to mourn. You're to be meek. It's saying this is, these are the kind of characteristics that are seen in those who are disciples of Jesus. It, it comes from God's work in us. It's not something that's in us naturally. Uh, it's the work of his spirit as we've been born again and we have a new nature. And... Uh, some of the things that we experience are not always easy to understand. There are certain paradoxical aspects of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, but it is a blessed thing to find that what Jesus is talking about here is true of us. And that's the kind of people we are. Those are the things that we feel uh, in a real measure. And it, it does seem as we come to this particular Beatitude that in every way it is right that those who are peacemakers should be blessed, that they should be truly happy uh, because many people long for peace. Uh, we were thinking this morning about the potential conflict, a greater conflict in uh, Ukraine. Uh, there's been a conflict for eight years already there and many people have died. But the potential, a report saying perhaps 50,000 people could die if that becomes a greater conflict and there are people working for a solution and are trying to talk things through and to to ease the tensions that are there <clears throat> before the second world war neville chamberlain came back from a meeting in munich in 1938 and there was an agreement and his words have been quoted often and he he came back very optimistic and said i believe it is peace for our time and with peace, it will be peace with honour. But sadly, that wasn't true. But peace in our time. And we have lived, certainly in our own country, for many, many years with a, a very high level of peace and security. But historically, there have been very few times of, of peace. In fact, often people tend to think of peace in a negative sense, uh, a thinker many years ago said, let him who desires peace prepare for war. Uh, if you want a peace, then you've got to arm yourself. Uh, and that's been the thinking very much since World War II, uh, a balance of power. Make sure that nobody attacks us, because if they do, it will cost them. That's the kind of thing that's being said about the potential conflict between Russia and Ukraine. If you attack, it will cost you. 
and uh, there's been nuclear bombs, massive armaments. For the first time in the history of the world, we can destroy all life, uh, known life in the, on this planet. And the danger of proliferation, uh, more and more countries seeking to get nuclear arms. And so if you want to stop them, you've got to have strength in order to uh, oppose them. And so in a sense, the idea of peace is let's try to avoid hostility. Let's keep the peace. But Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who keep the peace. So there's nothing wrong with keeping the peace. But he's saying something much more dramatic than that. He's talking about those who make peace. And he, he's talking about a, an influence uh, that comes into places of conflict and trouble and uh, brings about uh, an ironical word that comes from the Greek word for peace, an ironical approach to it. And uh, he's saying that that's what Christians do. That's what his disciples do. They actively and positively make peace. <clears throat> As we'll see, that involves making peace with God. But then having made peace with God, we make peace with other people as well. <clears throat> and he says that those who are peacemakers are blessed and will be called sons of God. That's a better translation than children of God. It's speaking about those who are like, like father, like son. Uh, and uh, you can think of people in scripture where the, the word for son was used of them. Barnabas was a son of encouragement. The word bar is the... And so making peace is, is the kind of thing which God does. And those who know God do it as well. And so I want us to think about this beatitude and to begin by saying, well, what is peace? It's not just the, the absence of hostility. It's, it's a positive thing. The, the Hebrew word is shalom. In fact, it's a word that is used when people meet each other and they greet each other and they say shalom, by which they mean may, may you experience peace. May we both experience peace. And uh, it's got a, a number of meanings. It speaks about a perfect well-being uh, linked to a serenity and a prosperity and a happiness. It's a comprehensive term. When you experience shalom, it's, it's positive well-being. And uh, those who make peace are seeking to bring about that uh, blessing in the lives of others. It's linked to right relationships between people so that there's a, not just people don't emphasize the things in which they differ, but they actually get on. They have intimate fellowship. There's goodwill between them. And of course, the two things are related. When, when relationships go wrong, uh, then it robs us of, of peace, shalom in our lives. And our great need, the great need of every person born into this world, is to know peace with God. It's an interesting term, isn't it? That we need to know peace with our maker. It's reminding us that naturally we are enemies of God. Not just people who are particularly rebelling against God, but in the human heart there is an enmity against God. So when Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 5, he says, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his 
life. Enemies of God. This is referring to people who, who outwardly are not necessarily aggressive, uh, but in the heart there's an enmity against God. And uh, Paul again in the in letter to the Ephesians, as he's writing about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did, he himself, he says, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. He's speaking about the Jews and the Gentiles, that great enmity between those two groups of people. Uh, the Jewish people didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. Uh, they were Gentile dogs. They wouldn't share dishes that a, a, a Gentile had used. But in the churches of the New Testament, Jew and Gentile alike were one in Christ. And uh, it had all come about because of what Jesus did. He made peace, and in one body he reconciled both these groups to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So hostility against God, hostility against one another. And, and all that is addressed in the gospel. And he writes to the Colossians, Paul says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. He says the attitude of antagonism towards God, of enmity against him, is linked to the fact that we want to do what we want to do. And uh, the kind of lives we're living express that enmity that we have against him. And uh, James can talk about spiritual adultery. And he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world, that, that is the ways of the world, living as the world lives, means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God and you know, you can see those things working out, can't you, in, in our experience. You know, very often as children are going through adolescence, there are, there are tensions in the family. And uh, really what a, a child is saying, well, I'm, I'm grown up now, I'm an adult, I want to be able to do what I want to do. And I want to go out, and I want to stay out as long as I want to stay out, and I want to have friends who are not necessarily in the church. And, and, and there's that battle, and... and the people who aren't Christians say, yes, come and join us and come and do the things we do. And there's that battle that goes on. And there can be real tensions and real unhappiness in the home. And then sometimes when people go away from home, you again think of the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. The son takes his father's money and he goes as far away as he can possibly go. And, and you think, what's he doing? He's rebelling. He's saying, I don't want to live here. I want... I want my father to fund what I'm doing, but I want to go as far away as I can and I want to use his money, all the things he's given me, in a way that I want to use them. And you find often that adults, adults that we meet with, people perhaps you work with, and, and you, you have an opportunity to talk about your faith. And, and they say, I don't want to know. Religion divides people. And perhaps if they do explain it, there's... There's something that's happened. Perhaps they were brought up to go to Sunday school or something. They've decided that's not for them. Or perhaps some sadness has come to them. And, and, and that anger comes out. And you think of all the blessings that God bestows upon all people. His son is reign on the good and the evil. But in the human heart, there's that enmity. There's that antagonism. 
They may even say to you, don't ever talk to me about that. You can talk about anything else, but not God and not the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this matter of peace with God is something that's addressing a fundamental need of the human heart. And you see, that rebellion against God, that enmity with God, has consequences. Because in that state, when we're in that position, we only deserve his condemnation. There is judgment to come. And one of our great fears, perhaps, for people that we're praying for and seeking to love and witness to is that they're not turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they don't turn, what will be their eternal situation? Paul writes to the Romans again, he says, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And he speaks about how God has made it plain that he is by the very creation that is here. And he's saying in the ancient world, as you read that first chapter of Romans, you you see not only the world in the first century, but you see our society, our Western world, in the 21st century century, uh, where people suppress the truth and they don't want to acknowledge God and uh, they turn away from him and, and it has consequences. You, you look at our world, what a mess it's in and it's related to that rejection of God. People won't acknowledge that. There's never acknowledgement by our leaders that our problem is a spiritual problem. But they try to deal with the consequences of that. And often they fail. But, but there's this deep problem in the human heart, which is not to do with peace with God, but enmity, alienation, hostility against him. And it's into that situation that, that the gospel speaks. The God of peace speaks. God is the supreme peacemaker. And that's what he does in the gospel, in the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, who is without sin and yet who dies in the place of sinners. God is propitiated. It's not a word that we use so much in modern translations. It's in the older translations. But, But it means that by what Jesus did, God's wrath is turned away and his favor is upon us. He's made propitious towards us, favorable towards us. Most of the modern translations use a word like atoning sacrifice, but at the heart it's got this idea of the wrath of God. God is rightly angry with our sin. We feel a measure of righteous anger sometimes when people are hostile without reason, but God looks upon mankind, those whom he's created in his image, and he is rightly displeased, he's rightly angry with us, but in the Lord Jesus he... He is propitiated. He he reconciles. He makes peace in the most wonderful way. Listen to Paul as he writes to the Colossians, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus makes peace. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says it again, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's given us this ministry of reconciliation, Paul says. We're Christ's ambassadors. What is the message? Well, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And what he's saying is this, that that Jesus has reconciled God to us. He's satisfied the just demands of God's law that stood against us, that condemned us. And Jesus, by his perfect life where he kept the law of God, and then by the shedding of his blood on the cross, has made peace so that God is able to look favorably upon those who, who turn to him. And so the message now is that we should be reconciled to him because everything necessary for God to be reconciled to us and not to give us what our sins deserve has been accomplished by our Saviour. So he says, be reconciled to God, for God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so the heart of becoming a Christian is this inner change that goes on in us. It addresses the hostility, it addresses the alienation against God. And when you see someone who, who previously was hostile to God being converted, you you see the change. They're different. One of the great examples in the Bible is, is Paul, Saul of Tarsus. You see him before he meets the risen saviour, the ascended saviour. What's he doing? He's breathing out threats. Men, women, he wants to arrest them if they're followers of Christ and put them in prison. He says, I was convinced that I should do everything possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You could not think of anyone who was more antagonistic to Jesus. And then he's converted. He's born again. And uh, he begins to proclaim the very faith which he sought to destroy. What was that change? It was a change of heart. He was a new person. And he, he can say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And the call of the gospel is for us to lay down the arms of our rebellion against God. And when we do that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one of the questions for us this evening, isn't it? Do we have that peace with God? Have we entered into the blessings of what he has done in Christ as the great peacemaker? He's made a way back to him from the dark paths of sin, as the chorus says. And the door is open and we may go in. And as you hear that message, you may say tonight, I don't want to do that because you're still rebellious. You're still hostile against God. But uh, you know that God has made a way for you to come. It, it isn't us who establish the grounds of the peace that we enjoy with God through Jesus. It's he who did that. It was he who was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How could he be favorable to rebellious sinful people only because his son as our substitute was made sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Paul can write to the Romans and say this, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wonderful thing it is to know that all is well. 
Whenever God may call us, all is well between us and him. Why? Because of what we don't know, but entirely because of what he's done. He is the great peacemaker. He, he justifies us. He declares us righteous, even though we're not, because the righteousness of Jesus becomes ours. He puts his spirit in our hearts, the spirit of adoption. We, we're sons and daughters of the living God. Uh, John, in his first chapter of his gospel, says, uh, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Right into the Galatians, Paul says that he's redeemed those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. He says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Can you remember a time, if you were a Christian this evening, when, when you prayed to God, you'd come to know Jesus Christ as your saviour, and for the first time in your life, you said words which perhaps you'd said before, our Father, who art in heaven. You might have had a good father or not, but now you knew that God, the great creator of all things, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, was your heavenly Father. Your, the Holy Spirit testified with your spirit that he is your Father. It's one of the great privileges, isn't it, to be able to call uh, God, Almighty God, our Father in heaven. So, so God is a God of peace. And through the Lord Jesus, this shalom, this altogether peace, this comprehensive peace becomes ours. And, and God desires that we should live in that relationship with him. And of course, that means that we, we have a relationship with others that is changed as well. It's no wonder that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who having experienced God's peace in Jesus, now want to make peace in this world with all people, uh, because they will be called the sons of God. We're, we're like him. We share his passion, his desire. And one of the signs of God's grace at work in our hearts is that we are peacemakers. We want to restore peace and reconciliation between people. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, that we have peace, peace with God, but also peace which affects our relationships with others. It's one of the things that James says is part of the, the change that comes from heaven into the life of those who know God in Jesus. He speaks in chapter 3 of his letter about the wisdom that comes from heaven. And he says it's first of all pure. Then the second thing he says is peace-loving. Loving peace, rejoicing in peace. And he says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So peacemakers are those who want to use all their influence to promote peace and love on earth, who strive to make all people love one another by their teaching and by their action. And they are doing the very work which the Lord Jesus Christ began, and uh, which one day he will consummate. You know, people today tend to say, don't they, I don't want to get involved. Not my business. I'll just leave them to themselves. But, but Christians aren't like that. They're distressed when they see tensions between people. It is a world, isn't it, of peace-breaking. 
You think about the general state of things. You know, you read the papers and the way they talk about other people and portray them and the media and the way people talk in work or where you study or whatever it might be in the neighbourhood and the way they talk about other people and the way they remember things that were done perhaps long ago. And they say, oh, I, don't, I don't talk to that person. Why? Well, something happened. And, and they feel justified in that. And we can be like that too and feel justified that we're entitled to uh, to take offence and to take it permanently against people. But once we, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we want to be peacemakers. We, we don't want to be busybodies getting involved in other people's business, but we want to be the means of bringing about reconciliation and restoring relationships. And uh, one of the great ways in which that is done is through the, the gospel. This gospel, this message that is rejected at large in our world is actually what the world needs. It is a relevant, dynamic force for good. Because when the hearts of people are changed, they, not only is our relationship with God changed, but our relationship with other people is changed. <coughs> and sometimes when you see somebody who's angry and who's taken offence, you want to say to them, what you need is God. You need to know Jesus. And their first response may be, that's the last thing I need to know. I'm not interested. But that, that's the only power that changes us, that changes the human heart. So that's why Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 5 about being ambassadors for Christ. We're his representatives. We're not just peacekeepers, but peacemakers. who want to see hostilities brought to an end and uh, quarrels uh, ended. And uh, when you do that sometimes, you, you may cause more offence at first. There is an offence in the gospel. And, uh, you know, when you say to someone, you know, the reason you're angry with the person who said that or done that is, is because you're a sinner. It's because of your heart. It's not just what they did. It's how you reacted to it. And they say, you're saying that's my fault? And they get offended. And sometimes it's, it's a risky thing. And sometimes I think, I don't want to get involved in this. And I'm talking not only about people in the society, generally in the community, but in, amongst Christians as well. And uh, there is division. And uh, it's not easy to, to bring about reconciliation and peacemaking. But, but Jesus said, those who desire to do that are blessed. Uh, because they'll be called the sons of God. They're like God. They have the same passion and desire that God has for peace. Just, just think, if we can, what it meant for God to make peace through his son. For his own dear son to come into this world and to die in the place of sinners. For God so loved the world. Isn't that amazing? A world in rebellion against him. But out of love his son came, that we might not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and we want to be like Jesus. We want his life and, uh, to be seen in a measure in us. Uh, we want to witness to him, the Prince of Peace. And uh, though he involved, was involved in lots of contention, lots of opposition, the way he behaved is, is striking the gospel writers tell us that he fulfilled words of the prophet Isaiah, 
in the way he conducted himself. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. That gentleness. A bruised reed, a reed almost broken, but he doesn't snap it. He's gentle. And uh, a smouldering wick, almost gone out, but, but he doesn't snuff it out. Gentleness, quietness, a peace about him. That, that's one of the qualities about peacemakers. It arises from that peace which is in our hearts. Uh, Paul describes himself as a violent man before he became a Christian. But then he preached this gospel of the Prince of Peace. I read earlier from Romans chapter 12, and it's a very challenging chapter. And uh, amongst other things, this is what he says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Live at peace with everyone. That's the desire, isn't it? To, to be peacemakers. That, that may even sometimes have people throwing that back in our face. So it's all right for you. You're super spiritual, aren't you? No, no, just knowing something we trust of God's work in our hearts and wanting to be gentle as we urge others to be reconciled to God, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Again, that we might be sons, it's later in the same chapter, of your Father in heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. What a challenge that is. Is it because we're all conscious of places of tension, hostility, stress, antagonism? Do you do you feel sometimes I I want to be an influence for good in that situation? Uh, that those who are now at each other's throats might experience peace, shalom, above all peace with God, but also peace with one another as well. It applies, doesn't it, in our homes? You know, homes are places of tensions often. Christian homes have places of tensions as well. Now, one of the most difficult subjects sometimes to hear a talk on is, is the Christian home, the relationship between husbands and wives and parents and children. Now, because there are tensions and there are strifes and, and people fall out and hard things are said and unkind things are said. And it's a great call, isn't it, to be a peacemaker in that situation. I'm never talking to them again. And I'm angry and I shout. And, and, and the home can be a place of antagonism. And what a blessing it is to, to seek by God's grace to be a peacemaker. It may be that we feel we contribute to the tension, but we want to overcome that and, and to be a source of bringing about peace and well-being. It happens in places of work, doesn't it? And uh, again, there are those who want to fall out over things that have happened and to blame people for things that have happened or to feel that they're not rewarded for what they do and their skills or whatever it might be. And you find yourself in a place of work or a place of study, universities, colleges. We're not having face-to-face lectures or whatever it might be or we're paying too much money and 
and so on. And then to be a peacemaker. What a blessing it is to have someone who isn't just simply taking sides or not getting involved, but actually trying to, to be an influence for, for peace uh, amongst those who are in tension and strife. Or the community, the, the feuds that happen within one street, perhaps. Neighbours who live near to each other, next to each other, don't talk to each other. Why will, will they put the fence in a wrong place? Um, or they've got a tree that, that gets in our way and, and, and we, we're falling out. And, and you can go to places and they, they look so tranquil, but underneath the surface you find tensions and stresses. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And the church, amongst God's people, there are often tensions and stresses. Sometimes there are churches where, where people don't look forward to the church meetings because people are going to fall out and there's going to be unhappiness. And uh, then people are unhappy and they want to leave and so on. And, and places where the peace of God has been experienced may be anything other than, than peaceful. Uh, and, and people want their way and they want to change things. They want things the way they want them to be, and they want it now. And uh, to be there as a, a peacemaker, uh, wanting to bring about restoration of fellowship between those who've been estranged from one another. It's no wonder that Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, the unity that we have is in Christ. It's not something we established, God established it as he brought us into relationship with his son and therefore into relationship with others. And uh, Paul says, our task, our challenge is to make every effort to keep that unity and not to destroy it, but to foster it and to encourage it. You know, this period of, of COVID has been a time of stress and tension in many churches. And uh, in many ways, I feel at the moment, we face more challenges within the church than we do out in the world. With where we are and how we are relating and how we are working together for the cause of the gospel. I was talking recently to a pastor of a church and he said, uh, uh, I've got a couple who are leaving our church. Why? Because they don't like the way we handled COVID. What is it? Well, they, don't, they didn't think we should keep the regulations, so they're leaving. And we've got another couple who are leaving and they, they don't agree with the way we handle COVID. Why is that? Well, because we kept the regulations too much. And they're all hiving off and going in situations. And, and it cries out for peacemaking, not just keeping the peace, not raising issues, but actually reminding each other of where, why we are where we are. It's because of the God of peace who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Satan loves to see division amongst God's people. And uh, whenever we experience peace, whether it's peace with God, which is wonderful, or peace with other people and living in harmony, it's a blessing, isn't it? It's a wonderful blessing. And uh, we long to know of it more and more. And uh, one day we'll be in heaven and we'll experience that peace uh, in full measure and the wonderful love and kindness of God. So 
here's a challenge to us. Peace is really important. Uh, are we, do we know peace with God? That's where it starts. And then in our relationship with others, are we making peace, actively seeking to bring those together uh, who have become hostile to each other and praying that God will help us, that we and they might know this shalom, this total well-being uh, which God has freely given us in his Son, Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God.